0: I am, as a parent, very excited about today and hopefully what today is the beginning of. Uh, we're hoping that Parent Initiative, well, we're not hoping. We're going to make Parent Initiative more than a one-day event. It is the beginning of a real focus at this church uh, on helping equip parents, inspire parents. More than that, the community that helps parents um, rear children in the Lord. Part of that, I just want to point out this morning, is, you know, it takes about 250 volunteers on a Sunday to run all of our children's uh, ministries, and part of that is the way so many have stepped up to volunteer today on this special day so that all of our parents can be in here during connection time uh, being equipped. So I am so grateful and just happy to serve in a church where people step up and help out on a day like this. Thank you if you're volunteering today, and may all go well with you. Uh, My wife's going to be in the nursery today helping out, so. Uh, but it's a good day to be here. David Fraze is with us this morning. He has uh, got 25 plus years in youth and family ministry, has a doctorate degree. Uh, so it's Dr. Fraze, although he probably doesn't like being called that. Uh, so he is a guy who is eminently qualified. That's why we brought, in, brought him in here today to launch uh, this parent initiative. Uh, also, he is involved in leading all of the character coaches in the DFW area who are involved with F. CA uh, he's been very much involved in kind of the sticky faith movement that is helping parents all across America and really beyond the borders of America in helping to cultivate in their children a faith that endures in Jesus Christ with no further ado let's give Dr Phrase a warm welcome
1: Oh, it is so good to be here. Um, So, Bordeaux, as I call him, he calls me Fray. So, just feel free to call people by their last name. I think it's very comfortable. Well, as Bordeaux and I are walking through, I met this great lady, and she has grandkids, probably great-grandkids, and she looks at me and says, with all kinds of love, what are you going to teach me about parenting? Nothing. Okay? I'm going to let you that right now. Okay? You're not looking at someone who's going to give you, do these 10 things, and your kids are going to come out all right. Because I was warned, 25 years ago, an old preacher came up to me when I was a young, snotty-nosed student minister who knew everything. Because when you're in your 20s and you work with teenagers, you know more than parents. And then you become one. And then you have teenagers in your home. You're like, I know absolutely nothing. So this preacher told me years ago, never, ever... Give a sermon on here so five or ten things you need to do to raise kids. Because if you do that, you're going to eat every single word you ever said. So this is not one of those Sundays. And I'm here to tell you, as a professional, choose whatever pattern of parenting you can find. Growing kids God's way, loving logic. You can have fights in your young married class as to what's the best approach. There's actually a book, I kid you not, by the Mennonites. That train you how to train your kid to go to a tree and pick their own switch to be beat with I mean choose whatever you want but what I'm gonna talk about is something that I believe will work all the time as far as what we can do to present to a watching world and it has to do not with things that are just happening in your home but things that are happening in our home God's church because we know what the Bible says about that now after 26 years of student ministry I remember one of the craziest most innovative things that happened when I first got into youth group I mean back in the day teenagers you don't know how cool you have it with Bordeaux and your volunteers because we didn't have powerpoints we didn't have videos what we had was teachers who every once in a while if they wanted to live on the edge they would put away the crossword puzzles do you remember those The Bible crossword puzzles. They would pick up the sheets that came with our 13-week curriculum. And this one day, our youth volunteer, we didn't even have a youth worker then, stood up and said, today we're going to do something crazy. We're going to play Bible baseball trivia. I know, it's liberal, it's crazy. We had no three points in appointments like he drew a baseball diamond and asked us a bunch of Bible questions and every question got you to this base, this base, this base. We have come so far with youth ministry professionalism. As a professor, I train guys to look at culture and to look at the culture they're going into and youth culture and to be able to contextualize a gospel message for Dallas or for Fort Worth or for all parts of the world. We have videos that can connect us All over the world, we have more resources, we have more events, we have concerts, we have teachings, we have professionals, and still, we lose 40 to 50% of our young people when they leave high school. I want you to think about that for a second. If you have two kids like I do, one of them may not make it. That's the kind of odds we're looking at. And I don't like it, and you shouldn't like it. And as a church, we should not like that half of our children that go through our children's ministry programs, go through our youth ministry programs, they leave the Lord. I'm not talking about going to a different denomination. I'm talking about leaving the faith. And that's what motivates me to do what I do because there has to be something. Would you agree? There has to be something that we can do. Now how we've typically responded is if our kids don't get it, then let's provide some more resources. I mean, we live in Dallas, Fort Worth. If we need something for our kids, we outsource it. If they can't bat, we get them a batting coach. If they can't sing, we get them a singing coach. If their grades are down, we send them to mentors because they have to perform. Faith doesn't work like that. But we try to outsource by saying this. Let's have a better children's ministry. Let's have a youth wing. Let's provide everything that they need. In that world, our kids are still not getting it, church. There has to be something else. What if it's not about sending our kids away but bringing them closer? Do you remember this verse in Mark chapter 10? Jesus said this. If you can go ahead and go to that. On, this, on that screen right there. Just There you go, okay. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. Now just hold that up for a moment. Remember what's happening? Jesus is teaching. It's kind of like at this moment, if children's church, if some kid just went rogue, okay, ran past the front door, I gotta go see Dave. And he just runs down the auditorium. And Gordon dives for him, and, and he jumps over... Gordon, because you're athletic, but I mean, just goes right over Gordon, John, just boom, there we go. And he interrupts the entire service when I'm trying to teach. This is what's going on. Well, the adults in the crowd are like, going, hold on, get the kids away from Jesus. Send them to children's church, wherever they went. I don't know. Send them behind the tree. I, I don't know where children's church was, but the adults had important things to do. And I want you to notice that word in the Greek. It's very specific. Jesus became indignant. That doesn't mean, oh, come on, guys. It was like a raging bull upset. Jesus loves me this. I know that song. Jesus was hacked, okay? They were like,
0: what is going
1: on? And then he uses the child. He said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I don't know about you. I, I'm not that, you know, much of a, you know, Greek scholar, but I've taken it to realize he was upset when children were kept from him. And then we go to Deuteronomy chapter six. And I want you to see Deuteronomy chapter 6 from the message. I realize it's a paraphrase, but it grabs the essence of what the writer's trying to say. If you go to Deuteronomy 6, please. Attention, Israel. God, our God. God, the one and only. Love God, your God, with your whole heart. Love Him with all that's in you. Love Him with all you've got. Write these commandments that I've given you today on your hearts. Get them inside of you. And then get them inside of your children. Talk about them wherever you are, sitting at home or walking in the street. Talk about them from the time you get up in the morning to when you fall into bed at night. Tie them on your hands and foreheads as a reminder. Inscribe them on your doorpost of your homes and on your city's gates. Literally what the writer is saying is you put the way of God right in front of your children. Where that every waking moment, wherever you go, they see Jesus in you and they see Jesus in the way that you respond. You're like, well, you know, it's great because, you know, that's what we do in our home. So stop talking to me, Dave. Here's the funny part about this verse the word for mom and dad is never used. He's not talking to mom and dad, nuclear family, he's talking to the community. That it is our job to put Jesus in front of our children. So I'm glad your family's doing well, but you're not done. Because your family is needed by my family. My family is needed by yours. That's what Deuteronomy 6 is. So if you're like, well, I've already raised my kids. I'm done. No, you're not. Book chapter verse, Deuteronomy 6. There you go. You are not done because you are needed in this thing that we call sticky faith. I could go on and on, but here's a point you need to know as we begin this whole weekend. Parents and the surrounding adult community are expected to model what it means to be a fully devoted follower of God. For 26 years, I've taught kids and tried to be sold out. But here's something you need to know. A little bit of a phrasism. We can't out-teach what happens in your home and in the surrounding adult community we are not that good we're not as a youth worker I can entertain and I can do all kinds of weird stuff okay I can do videos I could tell jokes I could have students right here I could Morsel feed them like a bird Jesus Christ They can embrace it But when they go home And if in their community And surrounding adults Within their parent group If they don't get it Some of those morsels can be taken away Yes, I'll make room for the Holy Spirit of God Yes, some of you come out of situations Where faith was not a daily thing And you rose up But I will guarantee you Somewhere an adult showed you authentic living All the time Every time so this idea of sticky faith, spiritual formation, is a serious game of pitch and catch, where we pitch what we know about God, and we want our students to pick it up. Where's Preston? I tell Preston he's so awesome because uh, they named the church after him. Come on up. Um, Preston, can you catch a ball? Just stay right there, you're doing great. Okay, there we go. I, I don't like little balls coming at me. Okay, I'm a football guy. These baseball things scare me. That's pretty easy, isn't it? Okay, now I'm gonna Woo! See, told you. <laughs> Athlete. Okay, so you ready? It's gonna be gonna just kinda speed it up a little bit. Oh, you're so good. Okay, there you go. Don't laugh at him. Could be you. Okay, that's pretty <laughs> sorry about that he's like are we are we throwing balls in church absolutely okay here we go it's not a frisbee put that on your hand isn't that awesome Yeah, there you go is this cut into my sermon time it does it gordon does it hey okay, you ready look at that isn't that fun that's what we played with outside before we had video games we went outside and did things and it's kind of weird okay that amazing so it's kind of easier to catch with that sticky thing in your hand right oh wow that's the greatest illustration ever here you go thank you give Preston a hand I appreciate it there are some things we can do as a community of faith and I'll say at the beginning where we're going to end in just a moment Our job as a community is to pitch what we believe in God, and the authenticity of our faith is to pitch this to our students. And yes, it is their responsibility to catch what we pitch. And there's sometimes we can do the slowest, easiest catch, and they can take their eye off the ball. They are still free will agents, aren't they? So choose whatever parenting method you want. That student still has to respond to it, correct? Our job is to pitch. But what if the catching could be stickier? What if we could prepare our students by the way that we live in community to give them such a message of our faith and the way to live God that it's harder not to catch it than to catch it? That's what sticky faith is about. So during the class time, we're going to go into these things in more detail, but I just want to give you several sticky factors that we found from the research at Fuller Seminary. We did a longitudinal study, big fancy word, till we talked to students after they left high school, and we found the ones, the 50% that made it, and we asked them a bunch of questions to try to figure out what was it that kept them faithful when they leave their community of faith. And so here's some of those things, and we're gonna go into more detail again during the class time. But the first one is this a sticky factor is relationships with parents, youth leaders, and church members. I mean, this is really not rocket science, is it? Relationships. When they looked back at their experiences in their faith community, they could remember youth leaders, they could remember parents, they could remember adults. Smith and Denton, in a a really incredible uh, study, On the religious life of young people they researched probably one of the most broadest research it was out of Chapel Hill now uh, uh, mr. Smith is at Notre Dame Uh, he's written two or three follow-up books on college students in that age group but what he found out in his first look at the research is this the number one impactor of a student's spiritual success is mom and dad And then right underneath that was the surrounding adult community. So, yes, mom and dad, you do have one of the greatest impacts. But right underneath that is the surrounding adults that you as a parent surround your kids with. And then a very distant third is organized youth programs. So think about that. A very distant third. And what we do as youth workers is just provide open door opportunities for our students to be involved with those 250 volunteers so we can put them in contact with adults to have relationships. That's what good student ministry does. I know Bordeaux. I know the kind of program that he has. He will never ever tell you, let the kids come to me and I'll fix them. He will always ask you to join in because he knows what successful student ministry looks like. And it involves this whole church. Again, you're like, well, I'll give my money, but I'm not going to talk to one of those kids. Have you seen them? I mean, my hair is white by design, but they're doing it on purpose. I mean, what's going on? They need you. They need relationships and you know it's true real quick I want you to think of a number of how many sermons okay how many sermons other than the ones that Gordon and I preach okay let's go before Gordon got here how many lessons do you remember that just deeply impacted your spiritual life I mean you were going down this road and you changed directions any camps retreats conferences think of a number go ahead now Think of the people who impacted your spiritual life deeply. More people, right? Now, please hear me. I'm not telling you to cut your youth and children's budget. That's not my point. My point is, you know inside yourself you are sitting where you're sitting because a mom and dad or an adult or someone in this church spoke truth into you and will not let go of you. Is that true? That's the relationships. This is what it's all about. So that's the first sticky factor. We're going to be looking at some best practices of that later. Now, another sticky factor is a healthy view of the gospel. Oh, this is an important one. Because many of us are raised to think that what the gospel is, is it's to give us salvation. And that's a good thing. But we start with salvation. But it's a lot more than that. When we talked to the students who were part of the Sticky Faith research, and we asked them to define what the gospel is, here's something that was really sad. No one ever mentioned the name of Jesus. Think about that for a moment. That kind of blew me away. I'm like, no, what they talked about is helping others. I mean, what it means to follow the gospel is, you know, we're going to help others, we're going to do to others That's a response to what happened at the cross, right? You do what you do to tornado victims and help them because of what Jesus has done for you. You don't go and work in Dallas and give your money and time because you're afraid if you don't do it, then God won't love you. But listen, that's kind of what we've taught. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, right? He didn't say, if you keep my commandments, then I'll love you. But some of you were raised that way. We used to sing a song in, uh, in youth rally circles called Does He Still Feel the Nails? Y'all don't sing it here, do you? <sighs> Good. Okay, so um, it's one of the worst songs ever theologically, I believe. Does He Still Feel the Nails Every Time We Fail? Can He Still Hear the Crowds Cry, Crucify? Am I causing him pain? He said, No, I, I got to change. What a bunch of guilt and horrible theology. Because here's the fact of life. Our Jesus is not on a cross. The tomb is empty. We are empowered. We go to the cross to die to self, to be raised in a newness of life. Not a reminder of death. Romans chapter 6. The gospel is not something that keeps our seatbelts on, our language better than the deacons that are cussing behind the building, better than, you know, whatever. We don't want to raise our kids by a certain political party, by a certain stance. All of those things are external. Jesus gave us a whole different standard to live by. Like, well, Dave, um, are you saying we should let our children not wear seatbelts, vote liberal, use bad language, own cats, and wear shorts to church? No. We got to realize that our students need to know in our teaching that any behavior-based change is a response to a grace-based gospel. Because I'm going to be honest with you, your kid will fail. Wrap them up in bubble wrap. Send them to the most Christian of Christian private schools. Shield them as they drive down the road so they won't see a billboard with any bikinis on it. Keep KLTY tuned in to hear Christmas shoes five bazillion times. Whatever you can do, keep their head down, your kids still will fail. There will be some moment where they will disappoint your moral standard, just like you have. And at that point, they need to know a God of grace, a God of second chances. A God that sees us and loves us, not because of what we've done, but Romans chapter 5, he loved us before we could ever do anything. That is sticky gospel. I love that verse in Romans 5. Let's listen to it. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, justified, not what you've done, but the judge in heaven said, not guilty. Since that's happened, And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now just listen to the reality of what Paul is trying to tell the Romans. There will be times when suffering will happen. You can't avoid it. One of the last and greatest, we wrote a whole children's song about it. The wise man built his house upon the what? And the foolish man... We somehow forget that both houses, whether it's built on sand or whether it's built on rock, both houses were hit with a storm. That's reality. I would love to think that my teenagers who live in my home would never face a challenge, would never face a crisis, but that dream went away a long time ago. How about you, parents? I can't stop the storm. I can't stop discouragement. I can't stop what happens in the world around them. But I can so put in them a love for God and a community that says that we're so transparent that we will teach you a gospel, not that is based on your merit, but it's based on the merit of Christ. And that will give you hope to hold on to so the character and perseverance will be a part of your life. And what's his case? Here it is. You see at just the right time, when we were still powerless. Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us and the church said, amen. So relationships with parents, youth leaders, church members, a healthy view of the gospel, and another sticky factor is participation in service and justice work. I was watching your pictures as you were doing the disaster relief, and I think it's very significant what's happening. It's not just adults, but it's adults and students all working together. In the past, our idea of missions was, let's load all the kids up, let's go to some third world country, Let's let them live in squalor for a week so they'll come back and appreciate what they have in America. Now, stop complaining. That's not missions. That's voyeurism of poor people. What missions is, is where my life, I go somewhere, again, because of the relationships, because of the grace, I'm going to be involved, not just the students, but as a church, we're going to be involved. Do you understand that as you were taking contributions, as Gordon was praying, as the whole church was called to do something about the disaster in Dallas, you were practicing sticky faith because he wasn't just calling the adults out. He was calling everyone in this community out. Because that's what we are. We are together. And it, changed, it It takes some deliberate action. One of the first things that happened about almost nine years ago, I went to the hills and started working with the students. And I believed in what I would call deep justice. That it's not just let the kids do the work that the adults didn't want to do. It's that we should work together. Be intergenerational. Work together so we can learn from each other and validate the work of the church and invite our kids into the work of the church and not just youth missions, but everybody go together on mission. And I got a call from the coordinator of the women's retreat. Now, I'm, I don't care what church you're part of. The ones who have the power are the ones who host the women's retreat. So you're usually married to an elder, okay? And I got the phone call and it's like, Brother phrase, and I'm like, anybody, somebody starts brother, you're in trouble. Brother phrase, it's been our tradition here at the Hills that the young people come set up the chairs and tables for us. And I'm like, am I going to stick by my principles or am I going to have a fight? So I chose to fight. And I'm like, we're not going to do that this year. Whoa. Who's going to do it? I'm like, let me give you an idea. Let's go to the men's ministry. And have the men's ministry with their sons. Let them come and serve you for your conference. We'll set up the tables, do everything. But it has to be everyone together. And then when we have the men's conference, the women's ministry with the daughters. Why don't y'all come and serve us? And let's just switch like that. Wow. Phone hang up. Guess what we're doing today eight years later? A much better deal that when the men's conference comes to town, the women's ministry cannot wait young and old to serve their husbands and brothers. And then when the women's conference comes, then all of a sudden the men and their sons can't wait to serve. And it's intergenerational and it's together. And no one would ever want to go back because our students don't feel like they're just being used for cheap labor that no one else wants to do. They're involved in things that the church says matters. And you know what I'm talking about, don't you, church? Because our kids have gone on so many mission trips and they go to college and they turn around and they're like, why don't the adults go on this mission trip? And they're like, whoa. And our message could be invalidated. Another factor is this. Freedom to express and explore doubt. This is a big one, church. A sticky factor of those kids who get the faith feel freedom to express and explore doubt. As we'll see in the class period, 70% of the students we saw had doubts. But they were not willing to share those doubts with the adults around them. Because they felt like if they did, they would be judged. Now, during the class period, we're going to tell you exactly some of the things the students said they wanted to express doubt about. But what I want to challenge this audience with, do your children in your home, do the children in this community, did they feel free to come to any adult in here and say, I got questions about, just fill in the blank. I got questions about marriage. I got questions about worship. I got questions about same-sex attraction. I got questions about how to spend money. All of those things have come up in the last week in my student ministry. If students don't feel the freedom to express and explore doubt here, when they leave our community they will find their answers. We should be the one that allow students to say I need to talk about this and then explore those truths with them but quite often they hear well we don't talk about that in church we can't do that can we really talk about sex did that preacher just say sex in church after communion is that right we don't even have a closing prayer yet I mean think about this if we don't talk about it here and let our students express and explore doubt. They're going to go to the internet, that wonderful thing that you and I were not raised with, and find all kinds of unvalidated, qualified and opinions on how they should live their lives. They should feel the freedom here. I had an elder one time at a church I worked at that wanted to go into our library and get rid of every book that was by a questionable denominational person or a questionable Church of Christ person, and actually brought it up in an elders meeting. I would like to go through our library and get rid of every book that has a dissenting opinion. Like kids actually went to the library to read. I mean, that was his solution. And I'm like going, uh, if you're a librarian, I'm sorry. You know. Okay, so um, I'm like, what in the world? And I looked at this elder with all kinds of respect, and I said, if you're afraid of the question, maybe you don't have an answer. We have to be able to let our students question and trust the scriptures. Proverbs 2, verse 3. Indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. We just have to struggle with our students. Can they struggle here? And I will say this, our students that are in the most protected bubble wrap environment that is given Judeo-Christian messages every single day, those students have questions too. And those are the ones in my student ministry that come to my office, close the door, and say, can I talk with you? And I said, yes. And they start bringing up things that their moms and dads and schools and churches just will not visit with them. But kids who stick realize their community is willing to go to very messy, ugly places with them to figure out what practical life in Jesus is all about. And the last sticky fake factor here is real relationships with friends. Notice I say real relationships with friends. That the church is not just filled with the Christian F word. You don't just walk in the door and, hey, how are you doing today? Fine. When your marriage is in shambles, you don't walk through this other entrance and y'all have such a welcoming church. You even have donuts back there. I mean, it's awesome. But you can't just keep walking by people and saying, so How are you doing? I'm doing fine. When you have cancer and need the prayers of the church, you can't say, well, I'm doing fine when your marriage has been a sham for 50 years. Some way, we got to get rid of the Christian F word. I had dinner with a man that is one of my great friends that we've committed to spend an accountable life. He's another professor, great guy, that, that we spend time together in student world quite often. And over dinner last week, he told me that a, his, someone in his family who had been married for over 50 years. The husband just confessed of having multiple affairs. But they're fine. No. We're not fine. And if you come to church and you you look the part and you're like, hey, everything's fine and everything's great. It's nobody's business but my family's. We are family. Well, I don't like it. Well, take it up with Paul. He wrote, you know, Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians 12, all the famous 12s have something to do with family. That we love each other real relationships not where we get together and say oh you redecorated rede- your house wonderful curtains I love it <laughs> oh nice car good car I mean have those conversations but how deep do you go I had a friend who talked about the episode in the Bible when Jesus is teaching and I remember there were friends who cut a hole in the roof And lowered their friend into the presence of Jesus. And I never thought of it this way. He said, when Jesus looked up and when that friend looked up, what faces did Jesus see? And then he challenged us. He said, do you have people that would lower you through a roof to see Jesus? Do you have friends? When you look up, is there anyone that you know in your circle that you have a real relationship with that knows how sick you are and can take you to Jesus? If you don't have those friends, you need to go find them. Do you get mad when someone asks you questions that are personal, or do you welcome them? Real relationships. Galatians chapter 6 says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Here it is. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Well, I thought the law of Christ was church attendance. That's the way I was raised. I thought the law of Christ was, you know, be sure you don't cuss. I'm not advocating cussing teenagers, don't take that out of context. Well, I thought the law of Christ was you tithe. I thought the law of Christ was yeah you had to give to extra office. I thought the law of Christ was you had to come and every time the doors were open and be involved. That's not the law of Christ. Never has been, never will be. That is a response to the law of Christ. The greatest commandment that is attached to this law is love the Lord your God with all your heart and your neighbor as yourself. Carry each other's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. Real relationships. So we're going to go into these a lot more in depth during the class time. But I just want to ask you two questions. First one is this. To all of us, a teenager, somebody's watching you, to every one of us that walk with Christ and are communicating a message to the lost and dying world, to those who are following us within the walls of this church, how is your pitching? Because you realize that a good pitcher could take his fingers and just like a little snap of the wrist and that ball's going down. Or could do some kind of weird knuckleball thing and that thing would just kind of just float right at you. How's your pitching? Are you confusing people when you go out in the world and your work associates are like, you go to church fine, but you really take this Jesus stuff seriously, how clear do you throw the ball to them? How clear do you throw the ball to your own children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren? What do they hear you talk about when you speak of the family of God? What do they hear you talk about when you speak about authority? What do they watch you do when you watch a Dallas Cowboy game where it's just awful? I mean, what, what, do, they, what do they see? How do you pitch the ball? I wish this verse wasn't in the Bible As someone who works with teenagers But look at Matthew 18. Because I already haunt myself quite a bit when I look at my own children. And when they do something wrong, have you ever been there going, where did they learn that? And my wife looks at me. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. seems like this pitching stuff is pretty serious. I could say this now that I'm 47 and have gray hair. So here it goes. A lot of times people come to the church and say, yeah, my kid was faithful to God until they went to that youth group. Nobody liked him. It was awful. We can screw your kids up, trust me, okay? My kid itself has been bullied by another kid in the youth group. I get it. Well, we like that church, but then that preacher started asking us to do things and give two offerings. <laughs> Awful preacher. That's why my kid doesn't love the Lord anymore. And so I'll say this. The first place you look if your kid doesn't follow the Lord is in your own home, Dad. Is in your own home, Mom. And that hurts, doesn't it? because some of you have children that you're like will they ever come back to God now that's heavy you're like wow if if you're a visitor you're like I hate this church that's I didn't come for that (laughs) let me tell you another fact of life though And it has to do with the catching teenagers you can blame everybody else you want as a parent I'm not a perfect pitcher never pitched a perfect game, and none of these adults in this room did, and their parents before them weren't very perfect. Somehow we're resilient. Thank you, Jesus. But I have a feeling that in this auditorium, there's a lot of consistent people that try to point you to Jesus. And at the end of the day, you have to ask yourself this question, everybody in this auditorium, how's your catching? Because we are free will beings and I know families that pitch it totally perfect and the ball is dropped because at some point in the life they decide I don't want it. You have to decide. We're going to try to do our best. But everyone in this auditorium is responsible for how you catch this Jesus thing. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Adults, this is an old church, like the Hills is an old church, like every church I've worked with. I worked at Broadway. All these older churches. Your great-grandparents may have started this church, but you will stand alone and not on their merits. If you are an elder in this church, And your kids will not claim your faith when they stand before God. We all must appear before the judgment seat of God and we take responsibility for our catching. Those two questions haunt me sometimes. How am I pitching? How am I catching? And aren't we glad, church, that within all this, we are enveloped in a grace gospel, a Jesus that knew our pitching would be off and our catching would be off and is the permanent eternal backstop when the ball gets behind us. The cross is a perfect pitch. Our catching of it is our responsibility. So as we continue our day into this class, I want us all to stand, if you will. I'm going to pray for you. And then if you need this body, if you need some real relationship time, and you need to just start this day with prayer, there will be people down here to accept you. If you are here today and you've never given your life to the one who loved you before you ever knew his name, then you can respond today and just walk down here and Gordon and others will will help you in making the greatest decision of your life to make Jesus Lord of your life. But I want us all to consider, church, how is our pitching? Are we doing the sticky things that give our students among us the best chance of keeping their faith when they leave? And for all of us, how well are we catching all the resources that we've been giving, everything that's happening around you, how well are you catching to receive this message of Jesus. Father, thank you so much for this assembly. Thank you for their courage to look into some maybe uncomfortable things, to change a little bit of their walk so that they can be the best community to raise children in, Father. Not to outsource everything, but together, to, to, to work together to impress upon the children the ways of of our faith father i pray that you would bless all of us as we look inside as we check our pitching and our catching and father if there's anything that is not right in either one of those areas we'll, through the power of your spirit convict our hearts to have conversations with each other to have conversations in the car of confession when we go home to make a decision today that is for me in my house and as for me in this church house we're going to follow the lord Through jesus we all pray Amen. If you need to respond publicly, this time is open for you.